Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But it is so good to be here at Life Changes. I was, had spent pretty much half a week with you and uh, it really, I've, I've led worship here many times, but this is my first time in a Life Changes pulpit or it's actually my third time, technically. I've been in two already today. But this is my first day in the Life Changes pulpit. And uh, it is such a privilege, and I do not take this lightly. So I just want to thank the, the leaders, the elders, and actually all of you. You haven't run out yet. So, so th- thanks for staying this long. Uh, and really, just to play a small part, just in partnering with what God is doing through this beautiful church in this ridiculously beautiful city. You guys, this... I think this genuinely might be the most beautiful city on the planet of the whole planet. I've been staying, I've had the fortune of staying in a flat, uh, Travis's flat. I don't know if you know Travis, but he's part of your church. Uh, And it's just, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what? The ocean and Table Mountain. And it's like, it has just been ridiculous. So uh, well done to all of you who were at the worship nights on Wednesday. And to all of you who are investing in new I've just been to Milnerton to, to, to God Adventures, expanding the kingdom in your city. Well done. Well done. Get stuck in. If you haven't yet, throw yourself at that. There is no greater adventure than the advancement of the God's kingdom in our city and in our nation. So it really is a great pleasure to be here. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Now, we all have lenses, don't we? We all live our lives with lenses. My name is Paul Edie, and I was born in Durban, South Africa. Whoop! That was a, almost a celebration. I was born in 1983. Whoop. I am, if you haven't noticed, a white male I went to all-boys Model C high school. I was saved at the age of 13 into a white Western Christian church expression. And let's throw in, uh, if I'm honest, I've been deeply influenced by rock and roll. So I've got some non-conformist angst deep inside of me. All right. Now, here's your moment. If you didn't take the first chance, I can't see any of you. Here's your time to leave. If you want to get out, get out now. Just do so very quietly, and I won't even notice. But what's the point of this? The more lenses we have, the less clearly we're able to see. Wow, you're actually staying. You're brave. The more lenses we have, the less clearly we're able to to see. A worldview, a, a way that we look at the world, a worldview is a set of beliefs and values that shape a person's approach to the most important issues of life. Now, we live in an era in history, an era of postmodernism, right? Have you heard of postmodernism? Now, postmodernism is an absolute reaction to modernism. Okay, so big words, whatever but we need to be aware of the times and the seasons that we, in which we live. 
Right, so I'm going to give you an example. Let's say these air cons are set to 22 degrees Celsius. Modernism says science rules, kind of like Bill Nye the science guy. And modernism says whatever the air, cons, air conditioner says, if it says it's 22, we trust the instrument, the scientific instrument. Therefore, all that matters is that it is 22 degrees in the room. But then humanity kind of looked at that whole science modernism thing and said, well, that just led to nuclear warfare and all sorts. This progress just led us to destruction. And so there was this big retaliation to say, actually, we don't trust science and we don't trust the instruments that are giving you what you perceive to be true. So all that matters now is not the 22 degrees on the air conditioner. All that matters is I feel cold in this room. So all the people who feel cold cluster together in the corner and say, we are the cold people. And they develop a little truth community. Then there are a group of people that says, actually, I feel really hot. I'm still sweating. And they form their own little truth community in the other corner. Then you've got the people that say, actually, I really like this temperature. It's just right. And we'll call them the Goldilocks crew. All right? And they form their own uh, truth community. And the, the people who are cold can do nothing to convince the people who are hot that they are actually cold. And so you've got these different truth communities and all looking at trying to find truth from different angles and different perspectives and no one actually settling on what is truth. All right. So these, we all have lenses. And our lenses and the way we see the world have been completely shaped by the culture within which we grew up. Now, a good definition of culture for me is the water in which we swim. I want you to imagine you've got this pet goldfish, and he's very cute. And maybe you call him Nemo, eh? Make up, you make up a name, but I'm going to go with Nemo. I know he was a clownfish, but whatever. It's getting technical. So you've got Nemo, and he's in this little fishbowl, and he's on a shelf in your living room. Now, if you made real good friends with Nemo, and you were somehow able to communicate with him, and you said, Nemo, tell me about water. Like, you live in water all the time. Tell me about this water. Nemo will look at you and go, what are you talking about? What is water? You see, culture is invisible until it is foreign. The goldfish has no idea that he is swimming around in water in a fishbowl. The goldfish thinks he is flying around in your living room having the time of his life. So, your culture is invisible to you. The only time you start to recognize culture is when you go and expose yourself to a culture that is not your own. The only way to assess your own culture is to expose yourself to another culture. So you step outside your culture, and then you're able to look back and go, oh, this is the difference. All right. Now, you guys are in a series called Building Our Nation. We need to be aware of our culture. We need to be aware that sometimes our culture actually sets us up for failure in the mission of God. Sometimes our culture sets us up for failure in the mission of God. So I want to use a, probably the best known story in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. All right? David, this young boy with a whole bunch of big brothers, he's the youngest. And he's the shepherd boy. He's left out in the field, and he's there taking care of the sheep. His oldest brothers, where are they? They're on the battlegrounds with the Israelite army against the Philistines. Jesse, David's father, 
sends David with some supplies. He says, go to the battle lines and give your brothers these supplies. So off David runs. When he gets to the battleground, what does he find? He finds the Israelite arm, army cowering in fear. And he sees this Philistine giant in the middle of the battlefield taunting the armies of God, the Israelite army, saying, anyone who will come fight me, whoever wins, your, your whole side wins or our whole side wins. Kind of putting this out there. No one is responding. The armies of God, the Israelite army, are cowering in fear. David, this young boy, says he's, he's appalled at Goliath's defiance, and he's also appalled at the Israelite army's cowardice. So he says, I'm going to take this guy on. And he goes to King Saul, and he says, put me on, coach. I'm going to take this guy down. So what does King Saul do? He says, okay, cool. Go for it. Here's your, take my armor. And so Within the military, there would be an expectation, a cultural norm to say the armor, especially the king's armor, is going to set you up for success in your battle, in your mission. And so what does David do? He says, okay, never done this before. Layer by layer, starts to put the king's armor on. Eventually, he's like getting weighed down more and more and more. And he starts to think, actually, all I've got against this giant is speed and agility. And right now, <laughs> I don't even have that. So again, within the military, the expectation and the understanding and the lens is that the armor is going to aid you in your mission. Thankfully, David was not in the military. Thankfully, he was a shepherd boy in the field and had been formed there, and his lenses had been formed there, and he was able to recognize that this cultural expectation would prove fatal and would set him up for failure. You see, you can only recognize the fishbowl from outside the fishbowl. In our nation, over the last month or two, we've seen a recognition of this. We've seen a recognition that there is something wrong with the culture. In our culture, we are being set up for failure. So I want to use an example, and I'm, if you would allow me to go down a rabbit hole. I want to talk about the gender-based violence issue, all right? We're going to use this as an example, and I hope today that we as the church would be able to take this example and actually emulate our response to it throughout all cultural issues, all right? So the gender-based violence issue. We've had ladies, we've had marches, we've had uh, people speaking out, crying out about this issue crying out that the water in which we are swimming is dirty. You see, it doesn't, you don't just, you don't just reverse a big dump truck full of sand and just tip, tip up the back and it just offloads into the fishbowl and all of a sudden it goes from pure white to pure black and you can't see anymore. It's spoon by spoon, spoon of sand, spoon of sand, spoon of sand. It's the little things, it's the little things. See, it's always the people in power that have the capacity to change things. Am I right? But it's also always the people in power who are the last to recognize the need for things to change. See, if I'm in power, why on earth would I want anything to change? I want to stay in power. So the people in power, they're the ones that can change things, but they're the ones that don't, won't change things. All right. So we need to recognize, well, who is in power who needs to recognize they're in power and who needs to recognize their capacity to bring change in our nation? So I want to use an example. Do we have any lefties in the house? Left-handers. 
Good, 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 good. All right. So we are going to take up a, an offering for the left-handers, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to spend the next 45 minutes praying. If you feel led to give away your car, we're going to give away cars to left-handed people today. Just kidding. All right, left-handers, how are you really, though? How, how, is, how are your emotions? How is your heart? You okay? You okay? Did you have to use scissors this week? You did have to use scissors. And how are you? Do you need a hand massage? Are you all right? Do we have any left-handers who had to use an ATM machine this week, drawing money? Um, what about maybe your adversity? You know those, those, those chairs with the desk built into it? And you like slide into it, and then you, but then you're left-handed, and it's like very awkward. There's nowhere to rest your elbow. Or what a handwriting, right? Left, lefties, just can I see this part of your hand? I just, if you're left-handed, can I just show it to me? Clean. That's it, clean. All right. So us righties, right? When we write, because we write from left to right, I mean, that's expected, Correct. Our hand slides over a clean page. But a lefty writes, and their hand just slides all through fresh ink. And so you get a smudge on the page and ink all over their hand. The struggle, my friends, is real. <laughs> the struggle is real. It's not easy to be left-handed out there. One last example. Do we have a left-handed guitarist in the house today? Any left-handed guitarist? There was one I know this morning. But um, it's one thing to find your dream guitar, but it's a totally different thing to try and find a left-handed guitar. You know, Jimi Hendrix couldn't even get that one right. He had to, he had to play a right-handed guitar just strung the opposite way. You know what I mean? That's when Hendrix can't get it right, something wrong with society, people. <laughs> All right, so how many of you who are right-handed wake up in the morning thinking, my people rule? Do you realize that you live in a world which affords you all this privilege every day. Privilege you may not think about, you didn't work or ask for, and you did not earn. How many of you think you are advantaged in life on a daily basis because you are right-handed? How aware are you of being a part of a social identity group in power called the right-handed people? Amandla. <laughs> all right. One of the ways in which unearned privilege occurs is when one group's culture, values, and ways of interpreting the world get built into the fabric of institutions within a society and are then made invisible. The group's culture is made invisible by being called the standard. See, the people who are in power don't think they're in power. They, aren't th they are the last to recognize that they are in power. Yet they are the ones that can bring the change. Men, I do not condone the hashtag men are trash thing. I do not believe that men are trash. I do believe that some men are trash, though. Some need a beat down, correct. But, so we don't have to wear the blame. We don't have to wear the blame. But I do believe that we have to wear and own the responsibility. Because only when we understand that we have a responsibility in this can we be a part of the solution. So I'm not saying we are trash, and I'm not saying we are all to blame, but we can be a part of the solution. When I look at Jesus, 
I look at the gospel, I see the one with all power and all authority is willing to lay down his power to empower the powerless. That he would hang on a cross and at any point he could take himself off that cross. But he would become obedient to death to empower the powerless. He was not to blame, yet he still took responsibility. So how do we get here in our nation? How do we get to this point in our culture? How does the water become actually, it's so, it's so polluted, it's so distorted, it's so filthy that we actually can't see a way forward? Was it the dump truck that just all of a sudden it became that? Was it in, incremental? So let me take responsibility in front of you. Let me be vulnerable. So in my Model C All Boys High School, how do we talk about women? How do we talk about girls? Probably not in a way that kept the water pure. In a Christian surf ministry, when we would go surfing and we would call the girls bag watchers because they'd sit on the beach and look after our bags. A little bit humorous, but was it a teaspoon of sand in the water? Gabe and I led a youth group together, and uh, we had these two amazing all-girl life groups. And we used to sit up and pack down. There was a lot to do. And so these girls were in charge of, like, cleaning the hot chocolate mugs and all that stuff. And they were amazing young girls. And we, would, we called the one group Witka, which stands for women in the kitchen, and the other Gwek, which stands for girls who enjoy cleaning. Is it funny? Yes, you are allowed to laugh, I promise. But... But would we do it again? Tempting, but after some careful thought and consideration, no, we wouldn't. <laughs> we would not. Because what did that model to the boys we were leading about women? And what did that model to those young girls about how to be treated and how to be accepted? What kind of treatment they should accept? And that's in the church. That's in a youth group. What about a generation of parents who refused to talk to their children about sex and it became this taboo, shameful topic? And so teenagers started to hear more about it from their teenage peers than their parents. What about parents giving their kids cell phones and therefore unlimited access to pornography without any guidance, without any teaching? What about the sitcoms that we grew up watching? What did they teach us about women's brains? <laughs> Every sitcom would make a woman out to be dumb, and the woman was the laughing stock. Do you remember those? Our marketing, our billboards on the side of our roads, that w when I'm driving in the car with my little children in the car, I'm like, look, point somewhere else, you know? What lens does that put over us around objectifying women? These are all things that all of us in this room have been a part of. We all have, even if it's just a teaspoon of sand, we've all contributed in some way to this culture. It all colors the water in which we swim, and we don't see it until all of a sudden... Wow, this water is filthy. How do we get here? It's, it's almost too late. So what is our response? So far, it's quite negative, right? 
What do we do about this? Galatians 3.26 says this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Take off your Jew lenses. Take off your Greek lenses. Slave nor free. Take off your slave lenses, your free lenses, your male nor female lenses. For you are all one in Christ. So you don't swim in your Greek ocean. You don't swim in your Jew ocean, your male ocean, your South African ocean, your millennial ocean, your black, your white ocean. You were all baptized in Christ. Jesus is the water in which we swim. Do you know how cool that is, church? That we get to be freed from the lenses that, we were, that is distorting the way we view ourselves, others, and the world around us. We get to be free of our lenses. We start to see, huh, I don't care what you feel. I don't care what you feel. The bottom line is it's 22 degrees. If you don't put a jersey on, you're going to get pneumonia, and you're going to, like the frog in the boiling water, you're going to explode. The bottom line is there's a path that leads to destruction. Come back to the truth. We have to be able to see through these cultural lenses, identify them, and point people to the truth of God, because only in, the, in that is their true life. So Jesus is the water in which we swim in. I'm not, I'm not saying I believe in a monoculture. I don't think we're gonna, we need to paint all our walls white, have these padded things, and we all wear white to church, and we just stand, and we don't express ourselves because there is no culture. I believe that heaven is diverse. I believe it is colorful. I believe there's multi, like multifaceted expression. I believe that it will be a, a cultural ex, experience. But in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We need to remember that the law was the fu fundamental foundation of Hebrew culture. And so Jesus doesn't come to abolish culture. He comes to fulfill it. Do you imagine a bunch of jars? I've got a bunch of jars here. And some of them have that much water in, different levels of water. And in every culture, there's a reflection, there is a glimpse of the nature and the character of God. But there is a shortfall. There is, a, there is also a glimpse and a, a, a taste of the fallenness of humanity in every culture. So what Jesus says, he says, I'm not coming to chuck all of this out and smash these jars. I'm actually coming with my water and I'm filling up every culture because there is abundant life only in me. And it is our role as the church to be able to show people, to show up culture, to say, yes, there is good in your culture, but there is a whole lot that needs to be redeemed. And it will only ever be redeemed and, and find its fullness in the life of Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He is the solution. That is our role. But if we aren't able to see these things, we, we've got nothing to point people to. There's a rhythm. God has put a rhythm to life, to his creation. A beat is a metronome. And when we live according to that beat, we stay in the groove, we flourish. But when we don't, there are certain truths, small t, truth communities, small t, perspectives, that actually when we, we live according to those things, we experience hell, this side of eternity, more than is necessary. So there are people living in these cultures according to these cultural norms, and they are living in maybe that much of the reflection of who God is, but that much of the fallenness of man. And they are experiencing a whole lot more hell right now, right here, than they need to. And our role is to say, no, but in Jesus Christ is your redemption. 
He has paid the full price for your freedom, for the abundant life that He created you for, His intent for you. So how do we do that? How do we show up? How do we show a better way? We have to show a better way as the church, right? I want to give you an example because sometimes these things are ethereal things. They way up here, uh, way up here and uh, we actually don't know how to apply them to our lives. So my wife, her name is Evie. Yes, Evie Edie. Correct? We've been married for 13 years. We have two kids and one on the way uh, in December. And we dated for three and a half years before we were married. And we were good friends even before that through the youth group and whatnot. And um, when we started dating, she was my first girlfriend. And I do believe she will be my last. Strong amen. When we started dating, we made the decision that our first kiss would be on our wedding day. And I had Christian friends that were like, what? Why are you doing that? They're criticizing. Christian friends in the church. And I knew it wasn't normal. No one had told me to do that. But it was just something that I, 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 I couldn't feel right about it, you know? And, um, and so, anyway, three and a half years down the track, the day before our wedding... I go to visit Evie, and um, she gives me this envelope. And on the, you can see it's 13 years old now. It says, the best gift I can give you. I love you so much and will walk down the aisle to you, my husband. And inside is this card. And when I saw it, as soon as I saw it, I burst out crying. Because I had filled out this card at the, sa- the same night in the same room. All right? And it says, true love waits. By signing this card, I say, believing that true love waits, I make a pledge to God, myself, my family, and my future spouse to be sexually pure until marriage by the grace of God. Name, Evie Agerman, age 13. Her address, date 29-8-1997. We got married in 2006. See, and I lived up to that. I signed that same thing, but I wasn't sentimental enough to keep mine. How about that? Maybe I should have tried harder. But you see, when she walked down the aisle to me in her white dress, it meant something. And when her dad shook my hand and responded, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It meant something. Because I didn't take her before she was given to me. And when Piet Wallace, who married us that day, said, you may now kiss your bride. You may now kiss your bride. It meant something. And everyone in that room knew it meant something. And even when my Christian friends were criticizing me and saying, wow, that's pretty legalistic, do I regret what we did? See, if legalism leads to death and the Spirit of God leads to life, I want to ask you something. Would you like to sit with your daughter one day, your perfect little blonde hair with curls, blue eyes daughter, and say to her one day, the first time I kissed your mother was when I was told you may now kiss your bride. Does that sound like death, or does it sound like life to you? So we think we've got to get into government positions to confront culture. We need to be big deals. We need to be the president of this corporation. I need to run a multi, multi-million, whatever. I need to be a big deal. Or you can be a 19-year-old that says, I'm going to do something because the Spirit of God has told me to do it. I'm going to confront our culture. And you can say it's legalistic, but maybe... You're still looking at things and and girls and whatever, your life, through some unhelpful lenses. And what I want to say to you is no matter what your past is, 
the mercies of God on you every morning. You don't, this is my thing. Even if you're dating in this room, I am not putting what we did onto you. But I do want to say, ask the Spirit of God for guidance. Ask the Spirit of God to lead you. Don't just do things because your friends are wearing the same sunnies. Have your own convictions. Plot a new course. And so it's in all of our hands to reshape and remold the way people think. And I do believe that there will be some young girls here that are doing things that they are uncomfortable with. They don't want to do them. But because there is this cultural expectation on them, they feel the pressure to do it. I want to say you are standing in front of a giant with a javelin and a spear in an armor that does not fit you and that has left you immobile. You are dead meat. It will prove fatal. It will not lead you to life, but death. And I'm here this morning to say, be free of that armor. I'm here this morning to say, I am taking off those lenses. That cultural expectation does not look good on you, and you don't have to wear it. Be free of it. Take off the armor. And if you're saying, I can't, I can't do it. I can't stand in front of the giant without the armor, or he's too big for me. He's overpowering me. I want to say David was a little boy with, some, with a sling and some stones standing in front of a giant with a javelin and a spear who had been trained for battle from a young age. The one without his head was the giant. I also want to say that no matter what, how intimidating things around you can be, you've got a church full of, I believe, fathers that will fight to the death for your freedom and your future. That is the beauty of this local church, that you are never alone be free. So sometimes our culture sets us up for failure in the mission of God. What is that mission? It's to lead people to life, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to empower the oppressed. It's often the things that we are most convinced of, dependent on, and familiar with that hinder us the most. I had planned to read, read a passage out of Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to tell the story. Saul's conversion. We all know Saul is this, this religious man, and uh, he's zealous for God, and he does not condone this thing called the way, Christianity. So he is out to go and put all these Christians in jail, and he gets a letter from the authorities that gives him the authority to throw these Christians in jail. And off he goes on this mission, on his way to Damascus to throw some Christians in prison. What happens? He gets hit off his horse by Jesus. He is blinded. He is left flat on the ground. He cannot see anything. And then he is taken by the hand and he is led. And he goes and he finds this man, Ananias, who God has revealed. And God has asked him to go and pray for him. And something like scales fall off Saul's eyes. And we know the rest of the journey. Saul becomes Paul who writes most of the New Testament, and his whole mission, his whole destiny, his whole direction of life has been changed, and he is all out to see people saved, to see people come to know the salvation of Jesus Christ. See, Paul had lenses. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, tell us some of those lenses. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. As far as legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. He had all these lenses, and he had this zeal for God that was completely distorted. 
He was riding in the wrong direction because his lenses were distorted. But he still had the zeal for God. But Paul had to be blinded to everything he was most convinced of in order to enter into the purposes of God. And I believe this morning that some of us need to be blinded to what we are most convinced of and actually be willing to be helpless and completely dependent and led by the hand into the purposes of God. A little bit of physics, Newton's first law. Anyone remember that one? I don't, so I'm going to read it, okay? Every object persists in its state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless it is compelled to change that state by forces impressed upon it. So we're in the Rugby World Cup right now, right? You imagine a dude running down the wing. I remember, I mean, the, probably the, I'm not big on rugby, to be honest. The last time I remember this happening was Jonah Lomu running down the, the 95 World Cup final and Yarpi Mulder taking him out on the touchline. But you imagine a rugby analogy, someone running down the line, one direction, off he goes, and then an external force comes and smacks him and changes that direction. That's exactly what happened to Paul. With this zeal for God, this passion, he's got this momentum, but he's going in the wrong direction. And eventually Jesus clotheslines him off his horse. He's like, boom, he's on his back, and he doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know what's happening. He's blinded. But Jesus took hold of Paul. He took hold of Paul, and he deployed him for his purposes. And I want to say today, Jesus, I believe, wants to take hold of some of us. And he wants to deploy us for his purposes so that we can show the world actually where the hope lies, and that is Jesus. I want to talk about our vocational power very quickly. When Jesus called his disciples, and he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Was he talking to Matthew, the tax collector? No, he was talking to the fishermen. So Jesus doesn't say to the tax collector, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He says it to the fishermen. And you might be a teacher. Today, Jesus says, I want to make you a teacher for my kingdom. You might be an engineer or a doctor. I want to make you a doctor for my kingdom. You might be a, a mom. I want to make you a mom for my kingdom. And so he wants to deploy our vocational power. What is your vocational power? Your knowledge, your platform, your networks, your position, your skills, your reputation. Every one of us in this room has that. There's no one that doesn't have a skill, a reputation, a platform. In some way, you have influence in some sphere. And God wants to deploy you with all of that that you have for his purposes. So how? How do you find this? How do you, how do you walk into this? I'm going to ask you the question, where does your greatest passion and the world's deepest hunger meet? Where does your greatest passion and the world's deepest hunger meet? See, Paul was zealous for God, but actually he wasn't, he wasn't filling up anyone's tummies. He wasn't meeting a need. Then he came to realize, actually, the world is hungry for a Savior, and I've met the Savior. And so his zeal for God met the crossroads of the Savior that the world needed. And his greatest passion and the world's deepest hunger sent him preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the nations for the rest of his life to the point where he was prepared to die for it. And it's at that crossroads where your deepest, your greatest passion and the world's deepest hunger meet where you will see the power of God released 
the purposes of God unveiled and unleashed. So I want to ask you, what has blinded you to everything else, even what you are most convinced of, and is leading you by the hand? See, this morning, it's not about what vision you have. It's what vision has you. Paul didn't get up after, after his horse accident and say, oh, I've just thought of a good idea. I think I should invest my time and my talents and my treasures into this direction. No, Jesus took hold of him. He didn't have a vision. The vision had him. So I want to conclude now. Three points and some responses. The first point, just to recap, is we all have lenses that blur the truth of God. Our response, we need to recognize what cultural expressions and expectations are unhelpful to the mission. We need to remove our lenses. Remember, our lenses maintain our defenses. Your lenses maintain your defenses. Perfect example. Oh, this hashtag men are trash thing. I go on and I defend men, defend men, defend men. See, as long as you are defending yourself, you can't be a part of the solution. Did Jesus defend himself? I am sinless. I have not done any of this. Jesus was willing to be accused. Jesus took the penalty. Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus at any stage could have leapt off that cross, but he chose to stay there. There was nothing defensive about Jesus. He took full responsibility for what he did not own the blame for. Point two, what vision has you? What has blinded you to everything else and is leading you by the hand? What is our response to that? We need to ask God to impress the force of his purpose and will upon us. Do you truly want to do the will of God? Are you truly, be, are you truly prepared to be knocked off your horse and blinded to everything you're most convinced of? and led in a direction that you never saw coming, even when it's the people that you were most uh, against and throwing them into prison, now you've come to serve them. And finally, where does your greatest passion in the world's deepest hunger meet? God wants to deploy your vocational power for His purposes. You know that as we respond to this one, how do we find that place? How do we find that crossroads? The map to that crossroads where your greatest passion in the world's deepest hunger meet is the local church. I believe that there will be people here that God has put a dream inside of your heart to, to, to change the world, but you just don't know how to do it. You don't, you don't know, well, how do I start this thing? I believe there is someone else here that maybe God hasn't spoken to and put that dream inside of their heart, but they have the influence, the network, the platform, the skills to unlock that dream. And it's only as the church of Jesus Christ gather together and collaborate together and to talk about and dream about the kingdom of God coming on this earth in our day That is when we see these, this crossroads meet. The map to the crossroads is in the local church community. So I like to end, uh, I like to try and make a, make a hashtag for any sermon I do. It's a little practice I've started recently because it forces me to have a point. <laughs> and the hashtag for today is hashtag blind me, lead me. Blind me and lead me. Or will we be Will we be blinded by God to every lens, to everything we've ever thought was right and true so that he can truly lead us? My friends, Jesus is like the rising sun. Not because you see him, but because by him you see everything else. If you want to see clearly this morning, if you, if you say, 
Lord, blind me. Blind me to everything I've ever known and show me what is true. Show me your heart. Show me your ways. Show me your will for our nation, for my, for my school, for my, for my employers, for my employees, for my family. Show me your will. How do I, where's the crossroads? Where can I meet their hunger? If you truly want to do the will of God, I'm going to invite you to stand and respond in this way. So Jesus, I want to thank you that you have invited us onto your mission, that we are so unqualified and so unworthy to be involved in the greatest story of all humanity in all of history yet you invite us in, that you qualify us, that you take our pasts and you welcome us and you say, my mercy is on you every morning. You are not disqualified. Come and join me in the redemption of humanity. Come and join me in the redemption of all of creation. Come and show up the brokenness of the culture in our nation and let me show you how to bring the abundant life of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, I pray for a confidence, for a strength, for a courage that we would take up the mantle. We would not disqualify ourselves. We would not sit back waiting for someone else to do it, but we would run to the crossroads, Lord Jesus, where our greatest passions and the, world, the world's deepest hungers can be fully met, can be fully met. So Lord Jesus, help us to fill up the jars. Help us to show up the lack and help us to give hope for a better way. Lord Jesus, I pray for conviction, Lord. I pray that we, you would start to un, uh, un, unveil and, and reveal new ways of doing things that are going to model the kingdom of God to those around us, that are going to model life, that are going to show people that there is truly a better way. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this, Lord. I thank you that there is always hope in you, Christ. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that there is hope for everyone because of you, Jesus, that there is no situation that is too far gone. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we say that we are, we are in. Blind us to everything we've ever been most convinced of and lead us by the hand. Take us on the journey. We want to run this race with you, Jesus. We thank, I thank you for Life Changes Church, Lord. I thank you for every dream. I thank you for what you are speaking into them. I thank you for the adventures ahead. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we get to partner together into what you are doing in this beautiful city. And I pray that it wouldn't just be stuck to Cape Town. I pray for greater things, Lord Jesus. I pray for multiplication of gifts, Father God. I pray that even now, as there are opportunities to serve, as there is an expansion, as there is a multiplication, as there are now three different communities being birthed around the city of Cape Town, I thank you for opportunity for people to step into more, for people to step up into serving, for people to exercise their gifts, for, for people to put their passions on display for the, for the redemption of humanity, Lord Jesus. So Lord, I pray for an unlocking of gifts in Jesus' name. I pray for a confidence to step forward. Lord, help us to call out the treasure in each, in, in, in each other in this place today, Father God. Call out the treasure that's maybe lying dormant, maybe lying under a rug, Father God. I pray that we would lift the ceiling off of each other in Jesus' name. So I thank you for great things. Truly greater things are yet to come in this city. Thank you for this in Jesus' name.